In this episode, I'm chatting with Jalinda Anderson, a graphic and web designer. With Shapes and Colors by Jalinda, she's able to work directly with owners and founders to come up with realistic, practical solutions that help clients achieve their marketing goals. We chatted about how she is able to set expectations, attract the right fit clients with an authentic brand story, train her clients after launch, and how brand archetypes play a role in how she approaches her marketing. Welcome to the podcast, Jalinda. It's so good to have you. Thank you. Good to be here. So to to kick us off, tell us about you and your business. All right. Well, I am a graphic and web designer located in Richmond, Virginia, and I will be celebrating four years in business as a solo business owner as of this September, which is 2023. So I have a, a background in working in graphic and web design for a long time for other people. And then around four years ago, I just had reached a point in my career where I don't know that I was ready, but some things were happening where I was in in my career that really pushed me out of the nest a little bit and and got me to try out being my own boss. And yeah, so now I have a small agency with a couple part-timers. And like I said, we're located in Richmond, Virginia. I wanted to dive straight into kind of like how you do business. So you're often like the design and web partner for your clients. Um, So I was wondering, how do you work with like their needs as they change? Um, Sometimes being an employee, they can just kind of like grab you across the room. So how do you work with them in those different ways? Um, Maybe like projects, retainers, keeping in touch with them and keeping things going throughout the year. That's a great question. So I have a range of different clients. And I would say at almost four years in, I am curating more of a list of folks who are either embedded internally as the marketing person of a company, and they perhaps don't execute the things that I'm able to do. Like maybe they don't do branding design or logo design, or maybe they don't do advanced web things. So while they might own the strategy for the business, I'm more the execution arm or our company is. Um, I would say four years ago, I was literally taking anything and everything. So whatever people wanted that I could build on the Adobe Creative Suite, I was just saying yes to. Um, My core genius, that's a weird word, but my core strength, I would say, is really visual communication. So things like color theory, branding, graphic design, web design. Um, I happen to be one of those folks that does branding and website. Um, And I know just enough to be dangerous on the front end in terms of coding. And so I offer that whole range of services to my clients now. And I'm trying to curate more of a list of folks who are looking for long-term relationships. So not anymore just make a business card or make a flyer, but Lately, it's been more vetting people in terms of, do you have a goal in your business that you think we might work together over the next three months, six months, 12 months? And even then, I don't necessarily require a retainer because in past agencies, sometimes that was the only way people would work with you or there was a certain minimum spend requirement. And now as a business owner myself, I know how every single dollar really, really counts in my budget. And sometimes my bank account literally does not have the investment level that maybe I even want to put into something to advance my business. So I try to meet my 
clients where they are and just talk through what's reasonable in the next three months, six months, 12 months. And if it does make sense and they, I have a couple of clients that are somewhat retainer based where they know they have 10 to 20 hours of work per month. So not even a weekly amount, but a month where that might be editing several pages on their website or helping promote different events that they have coming up. And so when that's the case and I can see that, then I will talk with them about a preferred hourly rate so that they um, are comfortable signing on with me and then getting a little bit of a discount knowing that I'm not having to necessarily earn that business month over month and spending time um, to get new business in. I can sort of carve out time in our book for just those clients. Um, But I do have a fair bit of folks that are either maturing past their DIY branding or website project, or they have just, you know, created something that they love and it's not, it wasn't DIY, but someone in the company left that used to do their web or someone in the company got promoted or transferred. And they're just looking for a different service provider to really help meet those needs. And sometimes it's not even a skill or a technology or a training issue. It's just sometimes the business owner or the department lead is just so stretched thin with all their other duties that they just need somebody that they can have on call to make updates for them. Yeah, that makes perfect sense because sometimes it's like, okay, are we going to commit to having maybe like a part-time employee who's going to do these things? And then with that, there's complications around like, what is a part-time employee? Like, why are they part-time? What are the motivations there? And then there's the onboarding time. Whereas for you, you're an expert, so you know what you're doing. Um, And they can just outsource to you as and when they need to. It's so true. And there was a client that I won actually, because as we sat in the office, So something about me, I absolutely love brutal honesty and very direct communication. And I think some of it has to do with not always being able to read subtext from people, Um, being a creative and an introvert. Like sometimes I don't always pick up subtle cues. There might be other names for that, but that's just, I know that's how I'm built. Um, And so I had a prospect that I was speaking to um, and he just very directly was like, hey, you're expensive. I don't know if I want to work with you. Why don't I just hire a student? And I was like, that is a great question. Do you want to art direct? And do you want to teach a student how to create good design and then also make sure they know how to use the programs and then also have them use your budget to try and test out and maybe give you something you don't even like the first round? Not saying that there aren't amazing students, But ultimately, he didn't necessarily have the internal structure to support a more junior employee, even though the rate would have been lower. And I just said to him, I've already made hundreds of examples of what you're trying to create, and you're not going to have to give me visual design, art direction cues. Certainly, I'll take your feedback, but you're not going to have to teach me how to do it the right way. and I'm pretty quick and I know lots of shortcut keys and I've, I've built lots of things and, you know, we can always start with something really small. And if you don't find value in it, sure, hire that student. But you're saying you're strapped and you need this done right and you need it done somewhat quickly. So that's the rate that I'm charging to reflect that expertise. And we were we worked together for another year until 
you know, he had a shift in his business and didn't necessarily need what I was doing. But that's a, that's a great point. A lot of times, even in a full year of working with me, many of my clients don't even pay a junior designer's full-time salary. Um, and they're not having to front the fees for Adobe Creative Suite. And they're not necessarily having to send me to school or send me to a training program. I'm actively curious and I don't pass that price along to them necessarily. Um, I go to conferences a lot to keep up to date with things. So I'm, I'm just naturally curious in pursuing my career. And so I, I do feel like even though that individual hourly rate might be higher than people are used to, the investment of, of the production of what they get out for what they invest is typically something they're very comfortable with once we've worked together for a bit. It's also the time on their end. So like it's the junior designer salary, you're not even, they're not even paying you that much, but it's also their time that they would have spent working with that person where they spend less time working with you because it's less rounds of feedback or less prompting, less, you know, all of the extra things that come with an employee as well, like, you know, time off, team meetings, all this, the extra stuff that takes up time too. Um, and sometimes they're just not ready for that level of like, yeah, art direction and delegating um that would that, that would bring so that makes perfect sense yeah and i hope that i'm a good partner so that they're feeling like the friction is lowered by working mm -hmm. with me versus them trying to diy it or hire a junior person or get someone who's sort of good in adobe but has a ton of other duties um, hopefully the friction of producing something gets easier and you know, I'll fully admit as a younger designer, probably I was creating friction, um, but as I'm aging and as I'm learning how to better serve clients and how to run a business and that the clients I serve are the lifeblood of this business, I really strive to try to level up the way in which I serve people and the way in which I accept and hear feedback. And so that's something that partners have said sometimes after working with other designers and then working with me and my team, they've said they just feel so comfortable giving feedback. There's not a level of defensiveness that mm. can sometimes be with creatives where like, I fully get it. We put our heart and soul into things, but ultimately it's a collaboration. So you have to be able to hear and accept and understand feedback from across the table and not make it a you versus me situation and not take it to heart and feel like every bit of feedback is like, a criticism to your soul. Um, and I know that's hard, that's hard for creative. So I would say as a younger designer, I perhaps wasn't the most um, cooperative or the easiest to give feedback to. Um, and sometimes that occurs, like people work with me because it is easier, because it does feel friction, less friction. Mm, that's so true because with experience a lot of people just assume that it's that your taste improves and your execution like your ability to execute to that taste grows but it's also like how you communicate the processes that you build how you take on feedback how you break down that feedback so that you can actually implement those changes because sometimes people aren't able to give you the feedback that are the exact steps that you would take so you've got to like translate that feedback into actually the next version that you're going to give them. Totally. I mean, and there's so much reading between the lines. Um, I mean, I, I don't know that I would say my body of work or portfolio is even the strongest. If you were to even search my city necessarily in terms of graphic design or web design, 
But what I do know I am really, really good at is listening, hearing my clients, having empathy, having a real servant's heart to help them achieve something and not necessarily needing to take full ownership. Like I will not work with you unless it's a portfolio level piece. A lot of my portfolio looks very different from one piece to another because I'm really trying to tailor it to that client's needs. I don't know that I necessarily have an aesthetic style like some design shops might have. Um, but I've found that my clients tend to really desire that equal partnership, that open, receptive person. And, and that's feel like that's how I feel like I win the business that I do uh, because clients are looking for that versus necessarily the most award-winning, beautiful portfolio, magazine quality, graphic design, brand, project. And, you know, there's tons of folks that do that. I can't speak to their experience of working with them. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's something that I really do. And sometimes it feels like counseling or therapy or just sort of ushering a person. And that's the other thing too, I've learned because other people can't do this work, that is the reason I have a job. And so they are sometimes going to come with challenges communicating or challenges deciding what they want or challenges accurately positioning what they think they need because this isn't their job. And so mm -hmm. part of my job is to help coach out of them enough so that I can pick a direction and then we can have a conversation and sort of refine from there. Yeah. It's also how the brand and website looks like their business rather than something that you've designed. Because with those uh, design shops that have that aesthetic is that sometimes the businesses that they design their branding can start to look similar. Um, but by being able to listen to the client, you're able to make the work that, that suits them, um, that embodies their brand and tells their story in a way that maybe somebody else might not be able to. And I would say like the professional perspective or the professional standpoint of what it should look like. Sometimes you just have clients, they could not care less about that. They just want to have it feel like something that they like. And sometimes they just literally love navy blue. And yeah. <laughs> you may or may not think that that's a great choice depending on their goals and their strategy and all of that. But ultimately it's their money, it's their investment, it's their business. And they need to feel like they love it and they embrace it. And, you know, there's so much in the media about like intellect and facts versus just the core emotion someone is feeling, um, you know, and sometimes that's, that's just what people are feeling and you just need to help them maybe professionally polish what they're requesting. It may not be what you would do if it were your business, but um, you know, you can just try to encourage and usher them in a direction. And, you know, even if it's not what, you might even turn in for a project in school because you learned a certain way to do things. People are not aware of the, that way of doing things. People aren't aware of design trends or aesthetics or even website techniques. So some could care less. They just want it to feel like something good and authentic to them. 
Yeah, which then allows them to embody the brand through the rest of the marketing sales offer, all of those other pieces that kind of bring it together. So that makes that makes exactly. really good sense to me. Um, with those ongoing relationships that you have with people, how are you keeping in contact with them over time? Um, obviously, you're not needing to sell into the business again, but there is an element of keeping in touch with them, especially if, say, like a staff member changes. How do you manage all of that? Yeah, for sure. So I do a lot of handwriting of notes. So I, and I'm not always the best at it. I kind of go in waves and seasons, but I try to at least once or twice a year, send something through the mail, whether it's a note that I've put together or a package with goodies inside some communication to my clients at least twice a year. That is not, Hey, this is a bill that you need to pay me. Mm. Um, Cause those are really important to run a business. You have to collect on your billables and you have to make sure you keep track of your billables and send that out. Um, but I communicate with clients in a live project, usually through our project management software. We happen to use Basecamp, um, have an account coordinator that's on my team. And she sometimes will email clients directly who are a bit either technology challenged or just on app overload and emailing is truly best for them. So she will a lot of times run point. And sometimes it'll be my inbox. We're running point through email and then loading it into our account coordination software so that the whole team can have a view of what's happening. Um, I'm not a big phone call person, to be honest with you. A couple of clients will text me on my work cell phone, usually for just quick little notes. Um, I do have an email newsletter list. It's not always perfectly um, sorted. I'm working on that to make sure I have like an all clients list so that I can give them updates as needed. Um, but I do a ton of networking as well. So locally I do a lot of in-person networking and some of my clients I've gained through those networking groups. And so I'll see them when I'm out or, um, just as, as, as part of moving and being in town, a lot of my small business owner clients belong to other small business owner networking groups that I'm a part of. Um, so I'll just see them and, and reach out to them. And, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of, I wouldn't call it a danger. There's a little bit of an edge to really building close relationships with clients. Um, I've had to get a lot better at creating an end of project boundary notification because the beautiful part is people feel so comfortable and they start to feel like we're close and there's a bit more than just a client um, service provider relationship. But then a lot of times they'll want to just, Hey, let me shoot you this note and ask you to do X, Y, and Z or, Hey, you know, I never said this throughout the three months of our project, but I just realized I want this other page. Can we add it? And so I've had to do a much better job of doing a closeout to projects and then re-inviting them in other ways to say, here's what's going on. Um, every now and then I'll have a new offer or product or service or some business milestone that I think might be helpful. So I might reach out individually. I have a couple clients where I'm in networking groups that are based on their industry. So I will shoot them events that I see sort of as a business relationship builder to say, like, if you'd like to go to this, my treat, sometimes they'll take me up on it, sometimes not. Um, but anything that's building that relationship 
is a communication style that I try to do. And I'm, I'm not super systematic about it. I'm a pen and paper person. I've got lots of um, calendars up on my wall with color coding. I'm very like physical visual. So sometimes I'll think about it and just write a note on my wall and put people's names and then check them off when I've felt like, okay, it's been kind of a slow nurturing time. Um, and I'll try to just touch base with people, whether it's an article or, Hey, I was thinking about you just checking in about your business. Um, so it's very organic. It's not very systematic for me. Yeah. But it sounds like there's not any period where you would go through without talking to them for a really extended period of time and then like kind of lose touch. It's more just like, it's not, necessarily like regimented to a calendar or anything but it's just organically keeping in touch with everyone and and essentially that when they cross your mind that you actually do reach out yeah Yeah. and I think that a lot of that has to do with um, my personal brand archetype which is the girl next door or the neighbor there's several different uh, ways that you might title it depending on the resources that you read but one of the neighborly items Like I may not go knock on my neighbor's door every day because that's a little psycho, but when I see them out in the street, I'm going to wave. And sometimes we may stop and speak or other times it's just, you know, a a kind greeting and we're going to go our separate ways. So I kind of feel like the way that I communicate with clients, um, I'm interpreting the way that I'm doing business in that way too. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me more about the archetypes thing. How are you approaching that? How did you like, like find out about it? How did you figure out how to like implement it into your business? Yeah. So I could get super nerdy about this. So I'll try to keep it high level. And if folks are interested, they can dig deeper. So there are 12 and sometimes people might say 16 brand archetypes that are based on the psychological theory of Carl Jung and his idea, and I'm paraphrasing here, so please don't come get me if I'm like not saying exactly the right thing, <laughs> anybody that really follows psychology. But um, the idea is that through the ages, humans have made sense of our world through stories. And so one of the most memorable ways that human knowledge and information at some point was passed down was through storytelling. So it's, it's core to like how we relate and how we understand things. And so brands that tell stories and position their brand as an archetype within the story, a lot of times will shortcut relating to their prospects and clients on an emotional level where logical intellectual information may not always resonate in the same way. So when I am thinking about the archetypes for my own business, I discovered that mine are the creator, which makes sense. I'm a graphic designer and web designer, um, the girl next door or the neighbor. And the third one is magician. And you can think about archetypes as almost traits of a personality. If your brand were a human being, how might they behave in the world? So for my company, it's called Shapes and Colors. So as you can imagine, my brand for the company is very colorful so that creates that sense of the creator that uh, puts that visual out in the world that aligns with the creator archetype. I want my clients to feel like we are on the equal playing field. We're collaborators, we're connected and not like I'm ever this 
aloof designer telling them what's in and telling them what they ought to like and think, or this know-it-all website person that's talking down to them and making them feel bad about how they don't know technology. So I never want to take that position. So the neighbor girl next door is a big piece of it. And then the magician is we're making things that a lot of my clients could never have envisioned. And so with those three, there's different ways that I express those archetypes. And sometimes it's more strong in one arena or another, but how I use them with my clients is when I'm creating a brand for them, I have them take an archetype quiz um, through someone online who I discovered brand archetypes through, and her name is Kay Putnam, and I'm happy to share the link. But she's got a brand archetypes quiz where if you have clients take the quiz based on, you know, let's say they put the hat on of their brand, not them personally, but if they're answering the questions on behalf of their brand, what is the result that they might get? And so I've had clients take the quiz and then get a result or two. But then we also talk about it. We talk about, you know, what are the motivators of each of the archetypes, which feels more aligned. And sometimes clients will get a little confused and they have started to take the quiz from their own personal perspective. And then once we really dissect the business and how they want to relate to their audience, it, we really determine another archetype might be their primary and perhaps those other secondary ones are in the mix. Um, but the whole point of it is to determine how you want to show up in the world. How do your, how do you want your brand to show up in the world? How do you want your marketing to speak for you? Not necessarily, how do I appeal to my ideal client, which is sometimes a little bit of a shift on the marketing model. And I love it so much. And the reason why it resonated so much with me is I was coming from an agency where it wasn't my name on the door. I wasn't really the front facing person to now I'm the sole designer, business development person, salesperson, accountant. I'm all the things. So I have to tell my story. I have to let people know that I'm available and how to hire me and all of those things, which is terrifying. And so discovering Kay, um, I went through a 30 day brand sprint that leaned heavily into the archetypes. And again, because I was doing some self-discovery of how does it feel for me to do business in the world? What is my perspective on design? What is my perspective on serving clients? And really like not trying to be a know-it-all or a hero brand that is there to swoop in and rescue my clients. I didn't want to be that. I wanted to be the neighbor. And there's lots of businesses that do business in that way. Um, and so once I discovered what feels the most comfortable mix for me, then I could determine how do I show up in my marketing to reflect that out into the world? And I think of it like shining a bright light that is true to me. And then the people that are attracted by that light will move closer and choose to want to learn more. And the people that are just like, Ooh, I don't like that light. They'll just go away. And then perhaps their time and my time will not be wasted. And so um, over time, as I've refined and learned how to embrace my own archetypes and then incorporate it in with clients, it's funny. I tend to attract a lot of um, neighborly girl next door, boy next door clients because they like the style that I bring to what I talk about. And so when they come in, it's almost like 
I've been in their shoes of one of the neighborly characteristics is you don't want to boast. You don't want to brag. You don't really want your face in front of everything. And so how do we tell stories that truly relate expertise without it being the me show? Which might be very different from, let's say, a beauty or lifestyle brand where they are the hero. They are the product. They are the service. You aspire to be them. Thank goodness they exist. I want to see their face every day. I want to hear their voice every day. Um, And it's not even about introvert, extrovert, or like having an ego or not. It's just how does that person feel most authentic to show up and service their clients? And for me, it's more neighborly and it's more we sit down together and we solve problems together and I bring in expertise and you bring in expertise and together we make something more beautiful and we create community every time we interact with one another. Um, So it's been really fun because sometimes I'll see clients who are struggling with maybe things I've struggled with in terms of my marketing or how to relay something. And because I've sort of worked on it and practiced it maybe just the slightest bit longer, then I feel comfortable recommending like, here's how I bring about this element in my marketing, or here's how I brag a little bit. So people trust enough to hire me, but I don't feel icky that I'm being too boastful. Um, So that's a long-winded answer about archetypes. Obviously, I could keep rambling on. I love that, though, because I can see how different businesses can be very different um, and how maybe those archetypes could be related to, like, TV characters or something where you think of a certain type of person Um, and how also the person behind the brand um, could be very different to their business, especially if they have like a co-founder or something where they've created um, a business or not-for-profit organization that is able to help people in a certain way. And so it's, it's not necessarily tied to their own personality, but there's a brand personality in there. And also how that could not only in marketing and branding and things like that, but how that's important in how you deliver your service and how you would invite your clients in, how you might use testimonials and things like that more in certain businesses versus using your own, like talking about yourself kind of situations um, and how that would weave through the whole, the whole thing to become that full brand archetype. Yeah. And I think really, amazing brands. I mean, I've worked inside of a couple of brands through my career. I've worked inside some corporate offices where I was part of the brand team and we had a list of brand guidelines, but I always thought of like marketing as icky for some reason, like the word just seemed sort of right in bed with sales. And I thought like sales is like gross salespeople. Marketing is right along with it. And I just, was the creative over here. And I didn't really see how all of it related. And so having someone like Kay explain her viewpoint on marketing, a lot of it's attraction-based marketing where you just show up as the full expression of your brand or your brand itself operates as a full expression. And so let's say you have a team of people, obviously we don't all have the same personality, but if it's very clear to us that we have a service-based brand, we're caretaking, and there's a, a, a brand archetype called the lover. Those motivators, if we know that is how we want this brand to show up, that helps us determine what are the elements of our strategy? How do we speak to our customers? What do we call some of the services that we deliver? 
to your point, how do we create operations that really reinforce those touch points to feel like it's all from the same personality? And then how to sort of orchestrate that through the business. I mean, if people are really into it, um, I don't know, it just resonates with me so much because it's such an emotional trigger of, you know, I don't necessarily want to go to a doctor that feels like a Maverick brand, like a Harley Davidson brand. I kind of want to go to a doctor that feels more like a sage, Yoda, science-based, proven methods archetype. Um, and there's probably, you know, a, a medical industry right now that's turning that on its head. But, you know, there's there's just certain things in your gut that it feels right or it feels aligned. Um, and there's probably certain businesses we could think about a pie company or a bike company um, or even a utility company. Maybe we don't. I don't know if you all have choices with utilities. I think we just get what we get here. But, um, you know, a chapstick company. And there's so many ways to express the vision of those products. And we tend to sort of vote with our dollars and and buy things that feel aligned with who we are, unless we're just in a rush going through the gas station. And, and especially with an investment like what we do, that is, you know, sometimes many dollar signs and commas, depending on the level of the project, people really want to feel like they resonate with the brand that they're purchasing from and they understand what it might be like to work together and marketing through an archetype perspective. I feel is a way that I can project that out to people so they can envision what it might be like. And if it feels too close and too direct and too side by side, then, you know, maybe I'm not the right fit, but if they're looking for that community neighborly feel, then I hope that that's what it communicates to them. Perfect. I really like the idea of that attraction marketing of that you attract the right people and then the other people just will move along and that's cool because when you attract the right kind of people then they go through the service or the product offering and then at the other end they're more likely to be that like loyal customer advocate because everything has matched along the way it met their expectations or potentially exceeded them but that at no point did it become like massively inconsistent so they felt like you know they got passed from one person to the other and all of a sudden everything kind of fell apart and I can see how in big businesses where maybe the marketing team has an idea but then the rest of the business doesn't necessarily align with that that um, if the architect wasn't accurate throughout that it could potentially go a different way so I like that of of having them fill out the um, archetype survey as the business as it currently is and maybe some of the ideals that they're working towards and then have an accurate representation rather than it being like um, a lofty maybe this type of business requires this type of archetype. So we're just going to try and morph the marketing and sales to match that rather than what it really is. Um, Cause I just feel like there's space for all different types because customers are all different types. Exactly. So, well, yeah. and I think there's a saying in marketing, if you try to appeal to everyone, you're not going to appeal to anyone. And I think in some ways, certain businesses are nervous about having a strong perspective because they feel like if I have a strong perspective, I'm going to turn people off. Um, Liquid Death is a water brand in aluminum cans. They have an absolute perspective and they are kind of like leaning into the fact that they might turn people off. There's like decaying skulls on their sparkling water and it says murder your thirst. So like 
if you're sensitive to that stuff, you're absolutely not going to mess with it. Or for the people that love it, they're so excited. It sort of does its own marketing. And, and I would say the clients I've attracted, you know, I don't want them to have a poor experience. So I want them to know that this is the human being that will be sitting across from them over the next month, two months, three months, six months as we build their brand, build their website. So I try to get as much of myself out so that whenever they actually talk to me and we start a project, they're not like, oh, who is this lady? They, they already know kind of what I'm like. Um, I'm probably a little more snarky, a little more humorous once we actually build that trust and, and start the relationship. But um, some of my best clients that have stayed with me, they refer people who are almost a perfect fit. So to your point, they know what the experience is like. They tend to know other folks like them who want a partner who operates in this way. And that way they've already done the sales and the handoff. And by the time I talk to their referral, the people have already um, sold themselves. I mean, I think another, and this is a separate um, from the marketing brand archetype piece, the sales piece, something I learned with a training group. And I'm, I'm not sure if this is global or not, but I learned from a local um, trainer from a company called Sandler Training, and they taught a sales process that had steps to it, but there was enough flexibility that as an individual, you could adapt the steps to your own personal style. And so one of the things that I always do is share pricing and share price ranges as soon as possible, because I don't want anyone to feel like, ooh, I've reeled you in and now you're in love with me and now I've given you this price that's not even close to what you can afford or what you budgeted or even, you know, where your state is in business or even maybe your values. Maybe, you know, I've spoken to lawyers and I don't know if you've ever hired a lawyer, but they charge lots of dollars for per hour, sometimes double or triple my personal design rate. And I've not won jobs from them because that was not necessarily the value of how they wanted to invest their money. Um, so it's not even an affordability thing, but um, I think just putting as much out on the table for everybody as soon as possible so that at each phase, they're sort of choosing to con continue to say yes and step forward. So by the time we're actually engaged in business, hopefully it feels like old friends at that point and, and we're really just executing and figuring things out. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, and back to that point too, of like marketing feeling like sales and maybe sometimes it bringing up those feelings of ick is what I often go back to is if we want the service or offer to help people, the more people we can let know about the brand and that you can ultimately sell to the more people you can help in that, in that setting. Um, and so doing those correct things like the figuring out the brand archetype, making sure that things are accurate, um, that you're doing that accurate representation, sharing things like pricing as soon as possible so that you don't feel like you're like getting to a point where someone feels obligated that because they've already spent so much time with you that they now should invest at that price point. Um, but also there are hundreds of choices along the way that a business owner can make in each of those to make things feel ever so slightly different. And um, if you have that kind of like North star of the why and the brand archetype and what you're trying to make people feel like and how you want them to enjoy the process, then it can lead you in those um, decisions rather than it just being like what's easiest or most affordable or cheapest or whatever. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think about just having a very small business. So it's 
me full time and then a couple of part time staff that support me. I've hired contractors on short term and long term basis almost from the first six to eight months of being in business because it became just understanding the business piece of things. It became more than I could do. Like once I sold enough, I couldn't execute at all. Um, so I've worked with other workers as well, but ultimately I'm the sole decision maker. So I know that I'm in a very privileged and lucky place to be able to have this much control over how I do business, when I do business, who I do business with, how I deliver it. Um, so this maybe doesn't apply to everyone who might be in a larger, more complicated organization or even an ownership structure, but a big part of how I've learned to run my business and set up my business is that things that work well for me to do my best work, I try to embed that into my process. So I have a poster on my wall that says I'm not in a rush. And part of the reason why I left my old agency environment was I always felt like a sponge getting squeezed out of all my creative energy by the end of the week. Um, I sometimes had to leave um, plans on the table. I couldn't go home on time. Um, I'd have to work over weekends. I'd have to come in early if a client had a request and we just really needed to meet the deadline because they were a major client. It would eat into my personal time. Sometimes it would be rush projects or just poor planning on the client's part, but hey, they pay two people's salaries in the company. So of course we're going to take their work. Um, and I don't do my best work that way. I was in tears a lot. I was anxious. I didn't sleep well. I'd wake up in the middle of the night. I'd have, I'd have nightmares about the work and you shouldn't have nightmares about graphic design or what. I mean, I don't think you should. Um, mm -hmm. And I can't say that anybody else in the company necessarily felt the way I did, but for how I am built, being overscheduled, being overworked, being in a rush, it's just not good for my nervous system. It's not good for my thinking. It's not good for my creative expression. So many, many times in my marketing, I will say to people, I am not the cheapest and I am not the fastest. And I try to just say that over and over and over. If you're in a rush, if you're in a crisis, if you're in an emergency, I may not be the partner that you're looking for. Um, there's plenty of agencies and plenty of groups that can be, but I know that is not the energy I want to bring in ever. And sometimes clients will tell on themselves they're coming in, you know, like a bull in a china shop. They want to call you. They want you to call them back immediately. They email you. They expect a response right away. There's a litany of problems that have been going on in the business. And usually it's the last designer's fault. Like all of these red flags just help me know, okay, this person is coming to me with an energy that is not the best fit for me. And I can politely decline and just say, you know, I don't really work in a rush. These are my response times. Um, and as long as I'm delivering that message consistently, people know that before they choose to do business. And a lot of my clients will come in and say, I love that you want to build a relationship. I love that you are not in a rush and that you're looking for people to work with over an amount of time. And we're trying to launch this in six months or a year. Is that okay? And I'm like, thank God. Yes, that is okay. Like you are my people. You're speaking my language. Um, I'm not a scarcity person. I try to really cultivate abundance in my mindset and how I work. And so again, I think that's just a way that I market that if it resonates with people, 
then they feel like a kindred spirit behind the marketing and hopefully they continue to walk forward. I like that throughout that whole process, you're kind of like telling a story of what the experience would be like to to go through that process with you, that things aren't going to be a rush um, because different things attract different kind of people. And sometimes they are that, like they know that they are the, when I give you a directive at 8am, I want it by end of day kind of people. Um, and that they, they know that from the outset that it's not really going to be a good fit um, rather than them thinking it is and then, you know, you getting stuck in a hard place of now I have to do all of these things because I also find I have the best work when I have the space to give it its time so that it can naturally come about. Um, and sometimes part of that is having conversations and then going away and, and having a think and then coming back and having a second conversation. Um, all of that takes time. And those Absolutely. those really quick projects, you end up with, you know, the slightest thing can can throw the whole thing off, like a public holiday or someone's ill or um, a slight delay and like maybe a courier item or something like that. And sometimes you can get the things done on time. You can get the deliverables done. Um, and then there's the after that point process, especially with like web design or software development where things maybe go live on time and then there's the work you've got to do behind the scenes to like fix the bugs that no doubt arise after that quick job. For sure. So, yeah. And I love how you mentioned the time and the space to think and decide. So a lot of times I'm building something that doesn't exist for clients. So it's the brand for their company. And again, they're not the expert in this. So they are a lot of times afraid, anxious, nervous, like, there isn't a box of something that I hand them. They're buying invisible things from me. So they're just like, is this person going to even listen to me to give me what I'm looking for? And I can't even quite describe it. So there's so much that's opaque for them. You know, when they start working, they don't know what's going to happen. And so the last thing I want to do is rush them through decisions and choosing a brand, choosing a logo, not allowing them the time to think on it or take it back to their core service team or share it with two or three of their ideal clients and have those conversations to really imagine and envision what their new brand could look like. So um, yeah, I think it's so important. And also clients sometimes will ask for things just because many of us are trained to hustle and want to do more and faster and quicker but that doesn't mean that we have to do it because they've asked for it. And a lot of times the question isn't always a demand. And sometimes we can hear it as a demand. And what mm -hmm. I have found is that the question just needs an answer. And as long as I'm clear and I can relate to them, whether I think it's doable or not doable in a time frame that they've requested and what factors might hinge on that. Most of the time, my clients are like, great, I just was wondering, I just wanted to know, could it be done sooner? And it sounds like it can't, so I'm willing to wait. Um, mm. And then you mentioned also just the space for illnesses or family things. I've had clients for several years now where we have a schedule, but one client, um, it was right after COVID, his parents like both got COVID and then he got it in quick succession and they were elderly and one of them had dementia. So there were so many complicated things. And the last thing I want is for a client to be having an extra level of anxiety because of me, because we created a schedule that was in some ways realistic, but in some ways it's arbitrary. 
like nothing is going to collapse in the world if a website page doesn't go live by a date. I mean, some people can get in a bunch about that, but for me, it was so much more important that he did not see my name and have like an anxiety attack that he knew it was perfectly fine to take the time, be with your family. And then one of his parents passed away and he had to help with funeral service. I mean, this was many, many months through the course of a year. So obviously the schedule we didn't stick to because there was that room for humanity. And I think when I try to work on things, I try to just explain that how we run things in our shop is a balance between getting it done, being responsive, but also honoring your humanity. And because not everything's a rush or a crisis, when a client of mine truly does have a crisis, like a hack on their website or something went down or it looks terrible and they've got a presentation tomorrow because not 20 of them have the same crisis. It might be one a week or one every other week. I do have enough space in my day to really truly be responsive to them and help them um, because I'm not overbooked with tons of crises all the time. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And kind of like a while people might ask for something as soon as possible, what we really may be going for is as soon as that feels good. Um, and sometimes, yeah, that is a question of can I get this by Friday is a question. It's not I need this by Friday because those are two very different levels of communication of um, one's a directive and one's a question. Um, and sometimes they are just genuinely asking. It's not a... Um, passive aggressive way of demanding something it's actually right. just that they genuinely have a question yeah that thing about speed too is like would you really want to make a brand you know like that like 20 questions or like a um what's the first thing that comes to your head kind of game where you're like right toast and someone says bread and those kind of things it's like squirrel frog we don't really want to make a brand <laughs> based on that so like let's just give it some time and space yeah and we'll, we'll get there <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I've had clients say, well, I want my logo in a week. And I said, I'm not willing to make you one in a week because it would be terrible quality. And if someone tells you they can make you a brand in a week, I might healthily question how much effort they're putting into it if they have a full-time business. It's different if you did one logo a week and that's all you did in a 40-hour week. Like that, that might occur. But if you are running a business and you're offering lots of services, um, you know, and, and there's tons of businesses that are built in different ways that might have the structure to be able to like do a website in a weekend or create a brand in a week. So I'm not going to um, disparage any of those businesses. That's not my point. Just, you know, sometimes to your point, clients truly just want to understand. And I had an exercise um, sort of related to me in the last couple of weeks about um, you know, when we start to get amped up and antsy about clients asking questions, just to think back to when we've been in the seat of having a question about a service that we were purchasing. And it, you know, it's like all of a sudden the maliciousness, the anxiety completely disappears because you're like, oh, I'm a human being. I've had questions before. That didn't mean I hated the person delivering the service. I was malicious. I was questioning the price. Sometimes it's truly, I just have a question and talking to a human makes me feel better about it. And it could just be that. 
Yeah. I also know that like with email, especially it's hard to read tone. Um, and sometimes you can read an email assuming the worst and sometimes you can read it assuming the best and it completely changes how, um, how much space it takes up in your brain and how long it takes to reply and the extra thoughts that you might have about it is if you're just assuming the, the uh, assuming the best, then, you know, it is just a genuine curiosity and mm-hmm. people just have a question and that's okay. Yeah. Um, I think the other cool thing about websites is obviously you have the site created at the bottom. So there's that element of um, word of mouth through people that your clients know, um, but also the kinds of potential clients who can see another business like how they do things and then see that credit on the bottom of the website and go from there. Um, are there different ways that you approach conversations with potential clients based on whether they've been referred to you by a human or whether they found you on social media or anything like that? How do you kind of start people from like the same kind of space? So I don't tend to get a ton of leads through social media. I feel like I have a lot of lurkers and they visit my website or they might reach out directly once they're ready or when they're ready with a referral. But if it's Google traffic or someone landing on my website or having been given my website after a networking event, or they got my business card or some um, talk that I was giving, I have a form on my website. It feeds into Dubsado, which is my CRM. It sends an automated response. Actually, I've paused it to approve workflows now because it used to just give an automated response with a price sheet and a scheduler, but I can sort of tell based on what they give me in the inquiry, if they're a bot or if they are just doing a like spray and pray own 10 websites just to see who they are. And if it feels a little tire kicky, sometimes I won't send that automated workflow because in a way the people that give me a paragraph or two and not saying that you have to do this, but there's just a bit of respect between like, I'm going to request that you do a thing for me, but I want to prepare you with, here's my request. So the Mm -hmm. folks that take the time to give me a little bit of context Um, The workflow will send them the price sheet and the scheduler, and then they can book 15 minutes with me for free. And I have a questionnaire also in Dubsado. So once they come into Dubsado, a prospect is created. I can add a prospect questionnaire form when they've scheduled their call. And then during the call, I talk through that questionnaire because, again, I learned a sales training process that I feel works for me. And I have questions that I've added to that form to sort of poke around a little bit in the most respectful, comfortable way to see like, are there red flags here? Is this person complaining about any previous people? Do they have a budget that's unrealistic? Do they have a timeline that's unrealistic? Are they requesting something like paid SEO or digital marketing or advertising that is graphic design adjacent, but not truly what my company does. So sometimes it's just a service fit, like is what you're requesting what I can actually deliver for you. Um, So that's kind of automated. And then that conversation, once we actually get on the phone is relatively 
um, straightforward. And I have 15 minutes scheduled for creepers because I want to be able to get off the phone if it's like really going poorly. But typically if it's going well, we might be on the phone 30 minutes, 40 minutes, sometimes an hour. And I can always tell my favorite clients when they're like, oh my gosh, we're past our 15 minutes. Is it okay if I take a bit more of your time? And like either one of us is saying that to the other and it just creates a sense of respect and humanity. And so those are always green flags for me. And then after that call, depending on if what they do and their expectation aligns with what I can help them with, I'll usually send them an estimate, whether it's a fully um, put together proposal estimate or just an email estimate to say phase one, roughly this price, phase two, again, as quickly as possible, giving them a number. And then if they continue to say yes, then eventually they'll get their invoice. Um, if someone sends me a warm referral, I sometimes will just ask for what time they might have to hop on the phone pretty quickly. And in that first or second communication, email them the price sheet to say, here's roughly what it costs to work with me. Um, and if that sounds like a fit for what you had in mind, then here's the scheduler or, or tell me sometimes um, because I do want them to feel like they're getting a real person and that I'm taking their referral um, to heart and not just sending them through an automated chain. But that's also um, a good way to vet people as well, because I've had people seem a little bit offended that I wasn't like a drop everything and give them my full time at the second because they're potentially maybe one day going to spend money with me. And so I used to explain a bit more earlier in my career, but now I just read this as this person is likely going to be very demanding. And if they're already dissatisfied and we've never even done business, they're probably not the right fit. But before I would just say like, I'm one person, I'm like helping my clients. I'm overwhelmed in a day. I've got tools to help me do my job. And, and now I just realize I don't need to do that explanation. Um, when people decide to work with me and it's an official thing in my client contract, I do lay out that I don't take unscheduled phone calls. And I try to word it in such a way that people know, like when your work is on my desk, I am giving it hundred percent attention. I don't let any other person interrupt me to grab me, to take my attention away from your work because that's inefficient. I can't produce as much. So when it's not your turn, I'm going to just request that you schedule time. And then fully, I want to be present with you. Like when we're in meetings, when we're um, working on things and collaborating, I don't answer phone calls. I keep my phone on silent usually and on vibrate during the day just because, you know, I think I have a little bit of ADHD as well. Like I can't just be pulled in all directions and really do deep focused creative work. So again, just trying to explain in my operations and in my client contracts, this is how your work gets done best. And this is a standard that we have across the business. And as long as you're comfortable with that, then we're going to have a great time. Um, and then I've got rough contracts for every sort of type of project, not for every single individual project. So it might be a web or a print or a retainer if we're doing a monthly thing. Um, so again, trying to get everything written down processes and 
ways of working in writing so that people can sign off on it and see it and raise any questions if they have them before we're like, quote unquote, in bed together. Um, but yeah, that's, that's roughly how I do my intake. It's very like step-based and, and just having conversations with people and really asking those questions that I know will help me get to great answers. Um, just sort of shows me how they, and also like how willing are they to just be vulnerable and tell me what's going on? Because sometimes people act very like, Oh, I can't divulge this information or they seem a little offended. And probably for you, Emma, as well, it's like when you're doing a service for a business, sometimes you really have to like lift up the bed and look under the mattress and dig through the drawers. And it's not always comfortable. So sometimes I also will tell people that I'm going to ask you probably more questions than you're comfortable with, but they're not intended as a criticism. And it's not intended as a slight if you don't know the answer or if you, or if you don't even understand the question, that's okay. We'll talk through it. But all of Hmm. these questions really help me understand as much as possible so that I'm honoring your business to be able to do the best work for you. Um, So tons of questions and then Mm. judging people very harshly, depending on the types of answers they give me. (laughs) I love that. I also love how throughout your process, you are sharing information with them um, and also saving yourself time, which inherently saves them time because they're also not on that call that isn't really going to go anywhere. Um, And that you're sharing information with them without having to maybe get on a call at first so that they can um, kind of like self-select at that point as well, if they want to continue on going or, or not. Um, And that, that you are asking a lot of questions and then taking that information in and really applying it to the potential project. Um, Because once you do get past a certain point, like it's not much going back. So, yeah. 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 And that was, again, another, I'll credit all the training. I'm a lifelong learner. If you have a course online, I'll probably buy it. And I have bought courses from people and it's my downfall, I know, because I just love learning. So um, Sandler training, another one was, you know, get the no faster. Because if I have a no faster, then that means I move on and I don't have to take my attention keeping this channel open and nurturing and following up and all of these things. And you know, maybe I don't follow up with people enough, but I try to tell them in that call, I'm going to reach out to you in about a week and just to check in with you. But if you stop the conversation, I'm not going to stalk you, especially a referral, because sometimes my referrals, they're not always educated on exactly what I do or the price points or the timeframes or anything. So I always want to just put them at ease that we're going to have a talk. If it makes sense, we're going to step forward. If we're not going to do it, it's okay. And, Mm. you know, you're not going to be subscribed to every marketing channel of mine because we spoke this one time and I'm not going to hound you if we decide not to do business together. And then are there any other ways that you are approaching marketing so that it doesn't become like that extra full-time job on top of everything else? Yeah, I have invested with a couple of strategists and that might sound funny, because I do marketing for my clients. Um, But it is really hard. It's like the cobbler's shoes. It's like seeing yourself accurately. This is why we go to therapy. Like sometimes we can't do for ourselves because we're so close to it and we can see in others or for others so much more clearly because 
There's not that emotional tie to every single little decision. So I've invested with some um, marketing strategists. I've invested with like a social media expert to do an audit. And she helped me figure out based on my business, based on my brand, what are some high level topics that I can bucket my content into so that in a, in the course of three months, I'm always talking about something to do with branding, something to do with websites, something to do about community. Because again, that girl next door, one of our motivators is community. Um, something about processes, because a lot of times I have clients that come to me having worked with a completely chaotic on the verge of a breakdown creative and God bless our souls. Like I feel for every person who's been in that state, but sometimes people will start a business or take on a side hustle or do a freelance project and they just don't have the bandwidth either emotionally or physically, or they just don't have the business acumen to run a project. So I inherit a lot of people who've kind of been from a chaotic, unresponsive person. So for me, it's really important to show them there's a method, there's a process, we have ways of doing things. Um, so that social media strategies helped me figure out buckets of content. Um, I also hired a brand messaging strategist who created a three or four page document of just phrasing that describes what I do, um, how I do it, sort of the style of what I do, and then logistically, literally the products that I sell. So I have um, a bank of content that I can pull from. And then I have a spreadsheet that I get on with my team about once a month and we get on for maybe an hour and we look ahead in the spreadsheet and we aim to post and we cross post maybe twice to three times a week. If it's a really busy week and there's lots of stuff to talk about, we'll do more, but that's our, our goal minimum is to do twice a week. And we will sort of brainstorm and talk about what we think we want to do in those weekly categories. And then any other timely things that we think are important, like closures or holidays, sometimes client features, sometimes new clients getting signed or positive reviews. So some of it's timely based on just what's happening in the month. And then outside of that one hour meeting with my team, sometimes I'll assign them to do some content posts based on presentations I've done. So like I do talks about websites and branding. So I'll just give them the PDF and say, pull out from every slide, like a 50 word post, and they'll just put it in a doc for me. Um, they use Canva, I use Canva. And then I use a scheduler called Loomly that lets me log into every one of my platforms. And usually once a week, I'll go into Loomly and just see that I've got something being posted that week or the next week. And then sometimes there may be other ways to do this, but sometimes my like newsletter call for signups, I'll just take that and copy it to once a month for the next six months. So I know that at least once a month it's there and I'll just switch out the picture so I try to batch the planning, batch the creation, batch the scheduling, and then any sort of engagement is really more loose and during the week. And my goal is always to serve clients first. I'm going to serve where the money is coming from first, because I know that, you know, there's a statistic about selling to current clients is so much easier than selling to new clients. And I heard a stat recently that sometimes people need to 
have interacted with you 37 times before they purchase, where it used to be a lot lower. And interact could be scroll past your posts, hear your podcast. There's so many micro moments now. Um, But 37 versus like today I have your work in front of me, that's always going to be our priority. So I'm not the best at it. Sometimes there will be weeks that go by where there's nothing posted. Um, I'm pretty consistent about once or twice a week to, to post in my stories on Instagram. So that's probably where I would say I hang out the most, but I've gotten business from Facebook and LinkedIn. So I cross post usually to those two platforms. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Just the, like the batching of things and how you keep everything kind of um, consistent so that you can, um, you know, you've got things batched and then you can focus on your work because you know that it's not like you've gone too long without posting something but yeah that piece of so many more interactions like I remember when I was studying and it was like there's seven interactions of all these things right. and it's like but the interaction was massively bigger than the interactions are now um right. and we have now so many more interactions throughout our day with brands so to punch through like you are one of potentially like thousands versus what it used to be before which was much less um because we have things like social media and our phones and just the amount of screen time that a lot of us have is that um yeah you have to be available to people but then once they're already a client like you really just need to deliver the service and then just keep in touch with them so that you're able to sell that next thing when the time is right for them and that they feel comfortable reaching out to you when that time is right as well because they um, look forward to working with you rather than it being like, okay, we got to do this thing. Okay. I'll add, I'll add that to my to-do list. It's like, cool. I get to work with Jalinda again. Yeah. I mean, I think about, I channel a lot of times one of my most bubbly friendly friends and think, how do I create the sense of joy that I have when I'm getting to see her? It could be I saw her last week. It could be I saw her a year ago, but whenever I see her, just she, she feels so happy to be around me and excited to see me. And um, I I often think, I mean, I'm not necessarily that bubbly of a person myself, but how do I create this experience where clients aren't dreading seeing my name? They're not dreading seeing our notifications. And even when it's something that they owe me in terms of feedback or approval or input, how do I position it in such a way that they don't feel like they're in trouble, that they feel like they look forward to us getting together and they're happy Um, you know, because that, that's going to sell my business. You know, one of those micro interactions could be them saying, you know what, I really had a great conversation today with my designer and then getting your name passed along to somebody that would have never known you otherwise. Yeah. Especially when they could be on the other end of the spectrum saying something quite the opposite in that interaction about you. So yeah, that's really important. Yeah. All right, sweet. Let's wrap it up with some quick fire questions. Uh, So who inspires you in business? So I would say I'm a huge fangirl of the whole Being Boss crew. So Emily Thompson, Kathleen Shannon, I was searching for them back when I was in my old job before I went off on my own. So they're a huge inspiration. And I think any sort of warm-hearted, kind-hearted marketers like Seth Godin, who talks about um, really serving with empathy and marketing being a bridge to help people live the life they want to live versus just selling the thing that you are trying to sell. Um, Those are some of my inspirations. 
what creative pursuit are you enjoying or feeling drawn to right now in either your work or personal life? Yeah, so I am not doing much at this moment. Um, it's the summer here. And so every spare minute I have of daylight, I'm playing sand volleyball and it's lovely. And I'm just getting browner by the day and the vitamin <laughs> D is just soaking into my life and I'm not cold. Um, so right now, not a lot, but once the weather's not quite as nice, um, likely I'll be doing a bit more journaling. Um, and I also make handmade books and necklaces. This is one that I've made. Um, and then I'll um, vend at a couple markets, I think, in the fall locally. Cool. Sweet. Love that. Um, what is your favorite place on the internet right now? You know, I would probably still stick with Instagram. That's probably where I'm most. But I'm dipping a little teensy toe into threads because people that I really like are on that and having great conversations. And I wasn't a big Twitter user before, but I do like the curation of the conversations that are happening for threads. I'm just trying not to get sucked into the hole um, yeah. with, with like another platform. So I would say mainly Instagram and then threads would be second. Yeah. Yeah. I've been loving threads for the conversation. I think that's kind of something that sticks out compared to other uh, social media platforms is that it's often goes beyond like the caption reply to caption maybe one more response like that you can actually continue that back and forth and that that's like anyone can jump in at any time and add a certain piece which also is giving me lots of like little tiny pieces of inspiration of like oh yeah that makes sense and then it gives me an extra thought that's completely unrelated but that mm -hmm. I otherwise wouldn't have had from from something else um what are you looking forward to most in the next year of business I'm looking up at my calendar. I think it'll just be evolving into an even more fulfilling version of what it is now. I, I've, I think the first three and a half years of business, every six months, this has felt like a new ride that I'm on to a different planet because whatever I'm learning and getting comfortable with, there's always something new around the corner. And even though I've worked with contractors before and partners before, right now I'm in a position to have employees for the first time. So I've got two part-time employees and had hoped to scale them to full-time, but in full transparency this year in terms of revenue was not quite that. So um, I would love to continue growing this business enough to have them be full-time and, and really seeing what it's solidly like to have a three-person agency, you know, but that could change in six months. So I feel like a year is so far away, but I know that I for sure will just continue to pursue and refine what the experience is like of being in this business. And hopefully it's just, you know, more and more every little micro step towards a better experience of creating impact, creating things I care about, and then being in a job that feels like it's aligned to how I want to live. Amazing. Yeah. What are you looking forward to the most in the offline world this year? So until October, it's going to be volleyball. I'm literally obsessed. So as much sand volleyball as possible, I have tons of friends locally. We'll go out by the river and play and there's another park in town. 
Um, I celebrated a year in marriage to my partner in May, and he and I have been together for over nine years, but we just decided to get married a little bit over a year ago. So I think um, in addition to paying off our wedding, which will happen before the end of this year, um, we have really been creating a life vision where we're trying to have experiences together and travel in ways that are things that we are really lit up about. So this year we went to a warm state in the U.S. So we went to Florida during the winter in Richmond for three weeks. And it was the most magical thing because we're both usually really grumpy when it's winter. And so I think figuring out how do we live more of our year, the way that we live in the summer months when we're playing volleyball. I play a lot of volleyball. He plays some, and then he's a big fisherman. So, um, you know, it's like we're out after work until it gets dark. And then we like crash back in, into the house together. And sometimes we'll have those experiences together, but I think just trying to live more of the year, the way that we feel like we live in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, and then the big question, if someone is listening to this episode and they want to grow their own business, what is the one thing you recommend they do or evaluate next? I would say it's really important to charge what you're worth because sometimes that will take care of needing to grow. Um, and then when you have clients, just take really, really good care of them because a lot of times they will bring you more business than you could ever go and get separately. Um, so maybe that's two, but that's what I would say. Yeah, I love that. That's perfect. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining me. This conversation has been so inspiring for me. I have so many thoughts and things I want to journal on and I'm going to definitely look into brand archetypes. So that's definitely oh, happening. Um, but thanks so much for having this conversation with me. Yeah, thank you, Emma. This was great. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Digital Hive podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, I'd love it if you could share it with a friend or on Instagram and tag me at Honeypot Digital. To find out more about Honeypot Digital and the work I do, or to find more episodes of the podcast and handy tips for small businesses marketing online, head to honeypotdigital.com.